0: Mongolian men must eat meat. They don't do this vegetarian mamby pamby stuff. Yeah. You've got to give them meat or they will get shitty.
1: Yeah, I'll give you an impression of what happened when we told the driver he was getting meat. Essentially, he had to have vegetables for lunch. And then we said, um, driver, do you want some meat? And he made this noise. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, the no- he was so excited. so excited. It was like I just offered him a naked woman or something. This is the Travel Freedom Podcast. I'm Tomo. And
0: I'm Megzi. And it's time to collect your ticket to world travel and a location-independent lifestyle.
1: Every Thursday, we'll show you how we travel the planet in style, full-time, for as little as $200 per person per month. And every Monday, we interview digital entrepreneurs
0: who reveal the methods to creating a location-independent online income.
1: So subscribe on iTunes now and discover travel freedom for yourself with the Travel Freedom Podcast. This is Travel Thursdays episode 037 and this is part two of our Mongolia special. In this episode, we explain how we kept our budget down to $33 per day. And Meg from MegMongolia.com introduces some of her favorite locations across the land that she grew up in. I
2: love the Gobi Desert because it's so vast and it's just so wild. You drive there for 200 kilometers and you see something beautiful like nice rock formations or dinosaur site or sand dunes. And you'll just think like, what happened here millions of years ago?
0: Meg also tells us about some of the more interesting superstitions
2: in Mongolia. If we step on each other's foot accidentally, even though uh, we don't know each other, we have to shake hands.
1: Well, hello again, everybody. Hello,
0: hello, hello, hello. Hello.
1: We're back with more stuff on Mongolia because we realize we have got so much crap to talk about. It's unbelievable.
0: Well, it's just such a massive country to try and fit it all into one episode We were just like, oh, but I still want to talk about this, and we still have to talk about this. So we have had to break it up into a couple of episodes so that you get all of the awesome Mongolia information.
1: Yes, so last time we talked about breaking down in the Gobi Desert, which was a bit of a trial, that's for sure. Yeah, that was fun. And we also talked about staying with a real nomad family in the far northwest of Mongolia.
0: Which actually was fun.
1: Yeah, that was very fun, very interesting. We actually spent two or three different occasions staying with different parts of the family around that region, which was really, really interesting. So if you didn't catch that episode, that was last Thursday's episode, 035. Do pop back and have a listen to that as well because if you are going to go to Mongolia or want to be inspired to go and have crazy times, then you're going to want to listen to that one.
0: Absolutely.
1: But today we're going to be talking about a couple more of the really, really special and awesome things that we got up to. The Nadam Festival is like the Mongolian Olympics. So we'll be talking about that in just a minute. It doesn't have quite as many events, but we'll get onto that. The other thing, of course, the really important information that any of you guys who want to visit these sorts of places on a budget will need... How we managed to travel Mongolia for a month overland for $33 per person per day. That's pretty cheap.
0: Totally for Mongolia it is because everything's pre-booked tours and oh you have to pay all this money and but we managed to uh, negotiate it's what we do we hustle
1: Yep, yeah, and we managed to go a bit on the independent side compared to your standard tourist turning up for a one week sort of tour
0: yeah which definitely was uh it made life interesting
1: yeah there were some strange situations but we'll explain more of that in that section coming up after the dam festival
0: yeah so one of the main reasons we decided to go in this particular time of year which is sort of like july july-ish yeah was purely because we really had wanted to see the nadam festival one you don't want to go in winter because it's freaking freezing yeah
1: it gets down to like minus 40 or yeah. something so you
0: have to go in the summertime if you want to visit and naturally this festival's going on nadam is the big one and as we said it's like the mongolian olympics However, they only have three events.
1: Yeah, so you got wrestling is like the pride of all the events. I think that's the main one. Absolutely. And they wear these tiny, tiny jackets, which are just like arms, and bare chests are on display. And apparently this is because a woman once entered the competition and won. Oh, yeah. And it was very embarrassing for the men involved that they were beaten by a woman. So now this particular attire that uh, shows off the boobies will make it quite clear if a lady is trying to compete.
0: Yeah, some of these men do have some serious boobies going on. Yes. But you can tell that they, know, they are not lady boobies. No,
1: they are moobs, not boobs.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: quite clear. So
0: it's quite an interesting story. And I suppose the pants, are sort of, they've got like these little uh, speedos yeah, kind all, of things little that speedos. they wear. It's all out, like it's all there.
1: And it's very traditional yeah. colours. It seems to be blue and red are the main ones. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, everyone wears the same sort of thing.
0: And so there's everything from the kids all the way up to the
1: big uh, tw- wow,
0: They all guys. do their wrestling in the main arena and that's the big event. They also do have archery, which is really important in Mongolian culture.
1: Yeah, and that's men and women, you see competing in that one.
0: Absolutely. Although I don't
1: think they compete against each other. It's women against women, men against men.
0: That's true. But
1: I suppose that's pretty similar in most Olympic events, so
0: yeah exactly Doesn't
1: make too much difference and
0: then one that's really interesting and a little controversial is the horse riding event now the reason why it is controversial is because it is actually a horse race that's ridden by children generally of the ages of about 5 to 13 years old and sadly pretty much every year at least one child will die
1: Yeah. So it is like a rites of passage thing, though, and it's a massive honor for the family if their child wins. But yeah, it's quite a dangerous sport for kids. And they're riding 15 to 30 kilometers in one session. And apparently up to like a thousand horses can be involved in one race. Depends on the area you're in and how many people actually live in that area and are going to compete. So it's a pretty serious event, though.
0: Oh, absolutely. They take it very seriously. Very,
1: very serious. So yeah, we managed to see all of these events. Now, the main thing you'll see if you look up online for the events that tourists go to visit, it's always shown in Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital, and it's like a three-day event that happens there. And it's huge, lots of foreigners turn up, a lot of locals turn up as well, and all the best athletes from around Mongolia all come to Ulaanbaatar to compete. But that's the most prestigious event in the whole country, so everyone wants to try and win at that one. It's the big shit, yeah. yeah. But of course the one problem that you're going to have if you go to that main event you are you're going to be there with all the other people that are coming in like the capital is full it is the event of the year every year it's yeah. massive so there's
0: massive amount of crowds also the prices of tickets to get in is quite inflated it's really expensive to get in and see these events so we actually decided to bypass it and go and find some of the more rural authentic. Well, it's still authentic. It's all authentic. The more rural versions of Nadam. Yeah.
1: So essentially, when we turned up to Mongolia, we came just after the festival had finished because we'd read online that there were some other Nadam festivals that happened outside of Ulaanbaatar later in the month. So we went, Okay, we'll skip the crowds. We'll skip all the queuing for getting on the train because there's only a few trains to Ulaanbaatar every day. And it'll make it a lot easier on us. And we got there and we spoke to our agent friend who was trying to set us up with a driver to go and see some of the country. And she's like, "Ah, there won't be any more events. It's too late now. And she's Mongolian, so we were like, but we looked online and this information was there and we thought we were going to be able to go and see the the late Nadams, as they're called. And, well, we made a phone up the tourist office in the end to say, come on, don't just give up, we've come all this way, we really want to see this local festival. And, yeah, it turned out there was at least a few more happening at the end of that month.
0: But even they weren't too certain on the dates. No,
1: the tourist office was still, we're not 100% sure it's probably around these dates. So some of these things are so just organized by a local community, that they're not really something you can find out about easily online. You actually have to turn up and start asking around. You might even have to drive to some town and it's all word of mouth. It's really that old school.
0: Which is pretty much what we did. We had heard that there would be one in a town called Tetsaleg. And even though they couldn't really confirm the dates, we knew around about when it was going to be. So we decided to just head out there in the Russian van and try and turn up so we would be there around about the time it was meant to be and hope for the best.
1: Yeah, and fortunately, we did arrive just in time. We got there the night before, in fact, and there was loads of people that all come in from their sort of nomadic countryside areas into this sort of medium-sized town, which much smaller than Ulaanbaatar, but really still just somewhere where everyone came together. And there were just fields and fields full of tent after tent. People actually brought their own girls to set them up next to each other. And, you know, they'd be there for a few days. This was a major event for them.
0: Absolutely. Now, as foreigners, it wasn't advised for us to set up camp with the locals just because it is a festival time and the Mongolians like to drink. And when they drink, they get a little fighty fighty. And so it's best to just not be in that sort of situation. So we were camping, but we found an area away from the town a little bit so that we were going to be in a safe sort of zone.
1: Yeah. So And that was all good. So we're camping for free. It's free to camp almost anywhere in Mongolia. The only time where you're going to get charged is if you go to a specific camping ground or in the grounds of a hotel or something like that. But yeah, if you're just out on the steep or just outside the city limits of any town, it's completely free. You yeah. Just set up your tent wherever the hell you want. That is like a Mongolian national law.
0: Absolutely. Because, <laughs>
1: of course, they are nomadic and they camp everywhere. But still, we made it to this event, and it was really, really, really local. Uh, there was probably about 10 or 15 other foreigners that had turned up, and somewhere in the region of about 2,000 locals, maybe 3,000 locals. With all the wrestling going on, you could walk right out into the ring, so you were literally like... 20 meters away from the people who are competing. It was a bit of a free-for-all in that sense. Whereas if you're in Ulaanbaatar, I'm told that there's sort of a boundary line at the front. You might have a seat that's further back in the stadium, so you might not even be able to see that well. The local event, well, it's not as police, but I mean, it's not as fancy. It's not as much of a spectacle. It is very, very local. It's exactly what you'd expect the but the locals like to get it. up
0: there as well and cheer on their boy and, or whoever's competing. And they like to get up close and close to the action, but not so close that they get kicked in the head by a wrestler.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it's not like this massive, massive celebration. It feels local.
0: Yeah, it was like held in like, just imagine what your high school like football oval was. That's about the size of...
1: Yeah. And they held all the kids from the school came along and did a little did
0: little, little dance, dance
1: at the start and they were doing trampolining.
0: Oh, that was so cute. And all the elders of the area all come in their traditional clothes. Now, this is really interesting to see because you don't see people getting around in their best dressed traditional clothing just on an everyday occurrence.
1: No, they're dressed up like their Sunday best.
0: Oh my goodness. They were so dressed up and it was just wonderful to see and quite a few of them were really happy to pose for photos as well. So that was nice.
1: Yeah. And the, uh, the horsehead violin, traditional instrument with these intricately carved horse heads. And we got some nice photos of those. We'll try and put some photos up on the show notes of our time at the Nadam festival. And we actually have an entire article about how to find this experience. So if you do want to get out and do a more local style Nadam, rather than just the one that you see everywhere on the internet in Ulaanbaatar, then Go online, read our article. I'll do a link, travelfreedompodcast.com slash nadam, spelled N-A-D-A-A-M, and you can find out some more about it. Yeah. All right, so we are talking to Meg from Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia, and uh, she's going to tell us a little bit about her business and why people should come to Mongolia. So, hi, Meg. How are you doing? Hi,
2: how are you? Sorry about my voice.
1: That's okay. am a
2: bit cold. <laughs>
0: One of those summer colds. It's always the worst when you get sick in summer. It's like, what? That's a winter thing.
2: I know. Yeah. It's It just like turned into like plus 30 degrees plus two days ago and then I got cold. So
1: yeah, <laughs> it's the change. The change in weather is what does it, I think. The yeah. got hot.
2: Quite yeah.
0: So it's been a couple of years since we've. Been to Mongolia and we actually stayed with you there couch surfing. Overnight, which was super cool. But can you tell us just a little bit about your business that you have there as well?
2: Now, I opened a guest house last year. It's called Meg's Guest House. And plus, I run a tours and I organize a tours throughout Mongolia. And uh, and I started working as a tour guide since 2005. So it's been like 10 years now. So now um, I'm the owner of the company since four years. So each year, I'm kind of like growing my business up. And I love my job, and I love meeting new people, travelers, and just staying out in a guest house and talking all day. I love doing that. So it's good to be loving your own job. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah. And um people travelers usually come to Mongolia during the summertime because it's hotter during uh, May, June, July, August, and September. And during winter, We get like minus 30, minus 40. So not many travelers during winter
1: season. (laughs) Not so good for tourism though.
2: Yeah, but we do get like ice festivals and stuff, uh, camel festivals in the Gobi Desert. So Mongolia is trying to, well, tourism sector is trying to improve the winter tourism here in Mongolia so yeah everything's developing I travel a lot myself like I've done Africa Europe Australia New Zealand and some parts of Asia so I ask from travelers why they want to come to Mongolia and obviously the nature is amazing in Mongolia yeah. and so wild and then just landscape is just step nothing's on it and up yeah. the Gobi Desert we have in southern Mongolia and founding dinosaur fossils everywhere in the desert <laughs> and yeah. It's
1: amazing. We had a fantastic time travelling across the landscape and the the way that it changes as you travel as well, finding yeah, the desert and the grasslands of the steep and eventually we went into the mountains in Olgi and to the glacier at the national park there near Olgi. And when we were there there was hardly any tourists really. By the time we'd left Ulan we didn't see tourists very often. As That increased much since 2013 or is it still really easy to sort of get lost in the wilderness and not see many people around?
2: It's still like that. Mongolia is huge. Mongolia has a huge landscape and uh, you just go out of UB for like like 100 kilometres and you just be in the middle of nowhere. So there are some travellers, tourists around, but you won't see much at that certain times.
1: So, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's got much busier than it was two years ago. Like tourism's pretty steady, rather than growing. I
2: think it's still the same, but Mongolia was the official partner country of Berlin, the tourism exhibition in Berlin. So uh, yeah. we are expecting about one million tourists this summer, Ooh. 2015. And but we have had like around four, three to four hundred thousand tourists each year.
1: Yeah, so that's actually going to be quite a difference this year. Then. Yeah, by the I think
2: that's why they're helping because tourism yeah. industry is increasing and mining industry in Mongolia is a bit going down. So government's hoping to get more tourists and more yeah. like, you know money to, to the country. And I'm um, helping. Yeah.
1: <sighs> yeah speaking of the mining industry we noticed they were building a lot of roads when we were there and so we were still traveling off-road a lot but there were just like little stretches where they'd finished the roads and we could use them and it made traveling across the country so much easier when we could use a bit of road because it's a very bumpy adventurous experience when you're going fast off-road in a in a russian van but are those roads sort of opening now is that going to make it easier for travelers to get around the country
2: well their um, infrastructure is also so developing growing up but not much like the roads to the actual destinations like especially like in the Gobi desert like to the big sang uh Hungry sand dunes there's no road it's still the same but only roads like the paved roads are being built is to the capital cities more and yeah. from the capital city to the mining area basically but you would still be on a off road like basically half half of the destination so yeah uh, the mining of course mining is building Uh, paved road but more like to the mining, to the border, you know Chinese border where we export our coal and gold or whatever it is so the road is just useful for that I don't think uh, mining roads are really useful for Mongolian tourism though.
1: It's nice when you find one though (laughs) it's a nice break from the bumpy (laughs) (laughs) but we we still enjoyed the bumping around on the off-road stuff. It is quite a Fun experience, yeah. <laughs> if the break is also nice. But <laughs>
0: so, of course, getting out of the major cities is all of what Mongolia is all about. You got to get out there into the nature. So what is your favorite place in Mongolia outside of the big cities?
2: Well, I'm Mongolian and I'm interested in my own country and in every part of this country is beautiful. But I love the Gobi Desert because it's so vast, kind of like you drive there for 200 kilometers and you see something beautiful like nice rock formations or a nice cliff or a dinosaur site or sand dunes and you'll just think like what happened here millions of years ago? And it's just so wild And I love geology and paleontology dinosaurs and stuff. So it interests me more than like lake area or mountainous area. And then uh, my second favorite part is the Western Mongolia, the Altai Mountains, and those uh, different ethnic groups in Western Mongolia is really quite interesting, like the Kazakhs and Tuvas and some other ethnic groups that interest me a lot. So I'm kind of, I'm a tour guide, right? But I kind of act like a tourist <laughs> when I see different ethnic groups. And I take a there <laughs> and stuff. And sometimes I just forget to translate between tourists and locals so yeah i'm that interested
1: <laughs> that's cool and that's the sort of tour guide you want really i suppose because the they can get really excited about what they're showing you some tour guides you find maybe they've done it for too long and they they've got bored of telling people the same stuff every day so <laughs> having that's the
0: thing with mongolia it's like nothing is ever the same no
1: yeah, things do feel changing. like they change when you go back or you go through the the fields everything feels like it's changing all the time it's yeah. uh, such an organic place it's amazing.
2: Yeah. I don't think, like, people, travelers ask me, like, do you ever, like, get tired of this place? Like, come in here a hundred times again? And I'm like, nah. I still take pictures. and I still get, get amazed.
1: Yeah. It's so vast. It's just there's just so much and the journey to get to each place it really feels like a a full yeah it's a journey it's an expedition it's an adventure every time you move between one of these destinations to another but speaking of like specific destinations obviously the Gobi Desert is amazing is there like one bit in the Gobi Desert where you arrive like somewhere that's got an actual name perhaps that people can then look up online and look at photos and dream about going there somewhere that you think's like a really fantastic spot to stop and and photograph my favorite
2: place in Mongolia would be the Flaming Cliffs down in the South Gobi, because Flaming Cliffs, as named by a Roy Ch- American adventurer, Roy Chapman Andrews, who first explored, excavated the dinosaur fossils and eggs in 1920, and he took a lot of um, fossils and eggs back to America, uh, which is in the Natural History Museum in New York, and he came back uh, like two or three more times to find more fossils. And eggs and stuff around that area. So he named that place uh, Flaming Cliffs because it looks like a flaming fire by the like, sunset. And uh, yeah, I love that place. And there are fossils around, but it's not like easy to find it though. So if you find it, then just like hide it. <laughs> don't take it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't want people removing these fossils from Mongolia. Really, they need to stay so more people can appreciate them.
2: Yeah, it's more like a take a photo, leave a print, right?
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. I, it's sad that people come and take the stuff away, and I know it happens in other countries as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, future generations want to see these things. So, yeah, hopefully everyone. I think everyone listening to this show is probably a bit more conscious, uh, has a more conscience about travel. Well, we hope so. We hope so. I think people listening to this show are, are real travelers, and they're really interested in protecting the planet for everyone else to enjoy their travels. But... Yeah, so there's obviously there's loads of history, not just the prehistory. There's also uh, Mongolian history and Mongolian people. Uh, we're always interested to find out about sort of historic facts or superstitions about a culture that listeners wouldn't know, like something that Mongolians know but foreigners probably haven't heard about. Is there any superstition you can tell us that will amuse and amaze us?
2: Mongolians are very superstitious people, I would say. For an example, if you whistle in the house or in a gear, basically inside, that means you're calling the ghost or you're calling the devil.
1: Oh. So... Oh, so no one will ever whistle inside the house. Yeah. Oh, it's lucky we didn't do that by accident.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and um, the other things that uh, they should know, if we step on each other's foot accidentally, even though uh, we don't know each other, we have to shake hands. I love that. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Challenge. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, a
1: couple of times. That was great. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: I've do done you know that.
1: why? Huh? Do you know why you have to shake hands? Is there a reason behind it?
2: If you don't shake hands, that means you'll stay enemies and then you'll fight over and over again. And if you shake hands, then you're no longer enemies, and you'll stay in peace.
1: Oh, okay, very cool. yeah Another
2: thing uh, foreigners should learn and uh, not learn sorry should know that we don't touch each other's uh, shoulder, or especially men's head or hat because the men is like the head of the family. And everything. So honored. So it's dishonoring a man or a certain person if you touch their shoulder or a man in Mongolia. So this is a very important thing to know if you travel to Mongolia.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because people give you like a pat on the shoulder or or anything. That's a very common thing in Australia. Give someone a pat on the shoulder. So you'd be dishonoring people in Mongolia if you did that.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing then. (laughs) Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. We make sure we wouldn't do that if we came back. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we did that whilst we were there. So we got away with it. I hope
2: not. Otherwise Mongolian guys would wrestle you. (laughs) Oh. Oh,
1: and of course, they are they the best are wrestlers, wrestlers in the world, so that would, I would lose very quickly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, when we were there a couple of years ago, we had turned up for the Nadam Festival, uh, which is famous for the wrestling. So. Other than Nadam, though, are there other important festivals that happen in Mongolia that travellers can visit and that we can hear about?
2: So a uh, Nadam festival in July. That's like the most famous festival in Mongolia, and in every it's uh, it's a very proud festival. Every Mongolians just feel very proud, and we have our flags on in the cars, and we have we wear our traditional clothes and stuff, and uh, we have another honored proud festival would be a lunar year we call it saransar and it's kind of like almost the same date as a chinese new year so it's a buddhist year basically so it's more like uh, we greet our parents or grandparents and eat together and then we accept a lot of guests in our homes and there'll be a lot of dumplings and a lot of food involved (laughs) festival and um each family would make around uh, 2,000, 3,000 dumplings and then make it frozen. <laughs>
0: that is a lot of dumplings. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think the, the dumplings are one of my favorite things to eat when we were there, actually. Uh, Buz, is that correct way to buzz. pronounce it? Buds. Yeah, buds.
2: Buds. Okay. yeah.
1: Buds. Okay, I've almost got it. (laughs) But yeah, I quite enjoyed those. And they were quite easy to find. So anyone traveling around, look for the dumplings. They normally have lamb inside, I believe.
2: Yeah, lamb or any kind of meat. It could be, yeah, beef or lamb or goat or yak. Really depends where you're eating. If you're eating in a Gobi Desert, you might be eating camel as well. Camel. Yeah.
1: Did not realize we might have inadvertently eaten camel dumplings without even knowing. Who knows? Oh, cool. Okay. I also have a saying
2: that uh, pregnant women should not be eating camel for some reason. So when I was pregnant and when I was tour guiding around, I would always have to ask, like, what's this meat, camel or not? (laughs) So I didn't really realize before.
0: No, I'd never heard that before. Yeah. Apparently,
2: camel meat is a bit tricky for a pregnant woman.
1: It's a a bit of an unusual meat anyway, I think.
2: Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one.
1: It's not my favorite.
2: (laughs) Did you like the hump? (laughs) Just kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, yeah, we had the camel in Morocco, but we don't know if we ate it in Mongolia. Now I have to question whether we did or not. I just assumed it was mainly lamb in the the Buds. So
2: we all never know. We all never know. (laughs)
1: Okay, cool. So yeah, that other festival that you were talking about, the Lunar Festival, what time of year is that?
2: It happens during the winter. So it can be uh, like in February or January. So it's like a New Year party.
1: Cool. So if people are willing to brave the Mongolian cold, then they can come and enjoy a completely less visited festival. I guess very few foreigners have ever even been to see this festival or to visit during that time.
2: Yeah, some have uh, done one or two different trips for for that festival, but travelers were, weren't actually expats from UB, so they lived in UB and they wanted to do it. They wanted to uh, see the ceremony, New Year ceremony in the countryside, so I took them out and we had lots and lots of dumplings everyday dumplings (laughs) breakfast (laughs) lunch dumplings and obviously always vodka involved in mongolia chingis vodka yeah and a milk (laughs) tea
1: nice yeah all the traditional stuff yeah Um, traditional stuff cool well we are almost out of time but we wanted to ask you one more slightly random question that we thought up because uh it's something we're curious about, and I think other foreigners may be interested to know. Yeah. But um, the Mongol Rally is is really quite popular. It gets a lot of press around the world, and obviously, I think anyone listening probably knows what it is, but eventually they end up in Ulaanbaatar. That's the finishing line for this really long rally from, I think, the UK. From London. From London to uh, Ulaanbaatar. Now, it's a big, big press event internationally, but what do the locals, like, who are in their, their girls or whatever, sitting around, and then they just see all these crazy foreigners in their silly cars driving across the Mongolian landscape, what is the, the local opinion on this rally?
2: I love the way, obviously, I heard about Mongol Rally, and um, I love the way that they do this to get charity work done, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's all for charity. All the money that's raised goes yeah. towards charity. So it's all for a good reason.
2: So I uh, love the way that uh, they raise money for a charity for a Mongolian kids and whoever's in need help vulnerable and also i love i think uh, a few years ago i like the way that they auction their cars and some people you know can buy their cars a bit cheap <laughs> that's good but a lot yeah. of, uh, some of the mongolians opinion is like why would they bring their junk ca- some of the junk cars <laughs> that they used to uh have. <laughs> but not anymore i think but some only some a few mongolians that they didn't like the way that all the the cars all the way from England to Mongolia is just like, they think that it's like a waste place.
1: Uh, Ah, because they leave all the cars there once they finish, they just dump them in Ulaanbaatar, is that the
2: problem? Yeah, so I heard some people like, Mongolia is not a waste place, so yeah, dump the cars and stuff. But now I heard that uh, they're taking the cars back to England or wherever, right? Ah, Which is another good thing. And I love Rally and I would love to do it one day. It's been always in my dreams, so I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I reckon
0: we'd like to do it one year too. I think it'd be lots of fun.
1: It would be quite an adventure. Yeah. But we want to get one of those Russian vans to do it in because that's a much easier way to get across Mongolia than a crappy car from england
2: <laughs> yeah russian russian vans are uh, really like the best off-road cars van in, in mongolia i would say and then used to be an army van but now nowadays used as a uh, tourist van has big yeah. space in it and then like just amazing it uses a lot of gas though but it's all right and drivers are amazing and they just they just fix their cars just like everywhere even though they're in the middle of nowhere and they just like fix it if so- yeah. if there's something wrong but usually they're just so experienced drivers who drive those Russian vans that
1: yeah our driver from Ulaanbaatar was was really good and we had like one short breakdown where he fixed it within like half an hour or something yeah they just know what they're doing they're really really experienced mechanics as well it's amazing
2: yeah true yeah we had I love uh, my drivers my drivers are mostly olders who drives around uh, travelers around I mean who drives around travelers and then love my drivers, and some of them speak some English, which is so cute. <laughs> yeah,
1: cool. Okay, we are gonna have to leave it there because we've gone a little bit over already. Mm-hmm. But Meg, thanks again for, for coming on the podcast and telling us a little bit more about Mongolia. Hopefully, we've inspired a few more people to go and travel there.
0: Yeah, and if anyone wants to come and stay at your guest house or take any of your tours, where can they find you online?
2: www.mongolia.com Megmongolia.com
1: Easy Fantastic Okay Really simple
2: So basically Megmongolia And then That's it And my guest house Is located Right in the center Of the town Which is right Behind the state department Store
1: So yes Once again That was Meg From megmongolia.com Go and check out Our website And you'll get Some information About some tour options That she offers Across Mongolia And of course She helped Set up our tour When we were there Back in 2013 Okay, so as promised, we're going to run through a bunch of the reasons why we managed to travel east to west across Mongolia for only $33 per person per day.
0: Yeah, which is pretty good considering most tours online are asking for at least 90 per person per day. And that's without the cost of actually getting to where the tour starts, which is usually Ulaanbaatar
1: yeah exactly so number one a lot of people obviously they turn up and want to do the Ulaanbaana dam as we were talking about earlier much more expensive you go out into the local countryside it's actually free to do it So if you can arrange your tour around turning up at a location where it's happening, you will not be spending $50 per day, or I think it's roughly $50 a day. It might be $50 for the three days to pay for a ticket to get into that. Plus all of the extra inflated costs of accommodation that you'll have if you're in Ulaanbaatar during that festival.
0: Exactly. And if you are wanting to go out into the countryside, which of course you're going to. You have to
1: really. Don't go to Mongolia and skip that, because that would be pointless. Don't just
0: stay in Ulaanbaatar. But head out into the countryside. We'll need to hire a Russian van to do so and a driver. One of the best ways to keep your prices down is to share the cost of that van with other people. So if you just turn up there and there's just yourself or like just the two of us as there were that would have cost us a fortune. So we reached out to people in different hostels and on couch surfing and we managed to hook up with a bunch of people to share the cost with us.
1: Yep, yeah, and so there was actually six of us No, seven of us, plus a driver. Normally there'd be a maximum of six people, but we went without a guide. I mean, really the question about guides, I think you probably should get a guide or at least a driver who speaks really good English. If you can find a driver who speaks good enough English, then you probably don't need a guide and that will save you money. Having the guide will cost more. We skipped the guide. Our driver really only spoke Russian. One of the guys we went with spoke a bit of Russian. We had a lot of miscommunication along the way. You know, we'd drive for like an hour and a half in one direction and then we'd be like, are we going to the place we want to go to? And the driver like, oh. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're
1: kidding me. So,
0: yeah, there are benefits to having a guide, and also sometimes they can be guide/cook. So, they can uh, help out do with some of the cooking if you're not so good in that area.
1: But having the cook as well and having all your meals provided is one of the things that pushes the costs up.
0: Totally. So, what we did is we decided to cook our own meals.
1: Yeah, we went down to the local market in Ulaanbaatar and just stocked up on all the basics so that we had lots of really Decent, tasty, cheap, but nice meals. Yeah,
0: we also travel around with a little cooking stove so that we could cook everything up. One of the main things we were told with hiring our driver was that drivers like meat and Dead serious, if they tell you this, like Mongolian men must eat meat. They don't do this vegetarian Mamby Pamby stuff. You've got to give them meat or they will get shitty.
1: Yeah, I'll give you an impression of what happened when we told the driver he was getting meat. Essentially, he had to have vegetables for lunch. And then we said, "Um, driver, do you want some meat? And he made this noise. (laughs) I'm not kidding, like the no- he was so excited. so excited, it was like I just offered him a naked woman or something, he was just like, oh my god, yes, yes, you just hand him a big can of meat. So like between the seven of us who were foreigners, we would share like one can of meat and then the driver would get one can of meat to himself Yeah, and he'd be happy enough just to eat a big can of meat, which was hilarious. But yeah, so we had to spend a little bit on meat to keep the driver happy. But we did save a lot by buying our own food and cooking our own meals in a budget way rather than having the guide do it for us. We probably spent less than half on food than what we would have spent with hiring the guide. So yeah, that did save quite a lot. Also one of the other things we did was we bought some of our own gear, which may sound like a bit of a crazy plan, but actually when they charge you to rent stuff and tents and all the other camping equipment for the week, it almost ends up costing as much to rent as it does to buy things.
0: Yeah, so we ended up going to... What is known as the black market where you can just get anything you can possibly imagine. So we all headed down there as a group and we picked up the cooker for cooking all the meals yeah, and a couple gas. of basic pots. We also picked up sleeping bags. sleeping bags, a pop-up tent. We went a little fancy and we got one of those pop-up tent things that just go boop and it's a tent done. And then you fold it up and it's. No longer a tent. It was really quite convenient. And we also picked up some Wellingtons, wellies. Now they're just like your your gumboots and stuff because Mongolia is known to be a very muddy place and you're most likely going to get bogged somewhere along the way. And you want to have some... Proper boots to keep the mud and shit off your clothes.
1: Yeah, you want to keep dry feet. Otherwise, you're going to become very miserable. So, yeah, we picked up most of that stuff. And, of course, for us, we were there for 25 days. I know some people listening, if they're going on more of a vacation type trip, they're only going to be there for one to two weeks. But because we were there for a month, it made a lot of good sense to buy all our own gear because we've been renting that stuff for a whole month. It would have been an issue. And then we couldn't
0: get it back to Oluvatar in the first place. We were
1: doing a one-way trip, so there was no way of sending the gear back. And what they do is if you do a one-way trip, you still have to pay the driver his daily wage.
0: To get back again. And
1: fuel to get home. So, because he's not going to pick up another tour group at the other border. Because trust us, the other border in the West, there is no one going through that who's a foreigner. We did not see a single other person. And they were so surprised to see us when we turned up at the Western border.
0: They thought we were smuggling drugs yeah. or something. They're <laughs> no. like, what are you doing here? Are you here, here for drugs? <laughs> what are you talking about dude
1: but still okay so the other things we want to mention is don't fly in because flying into ulaanbaatar seems to be really expensive yeah there's
0: no budget options for that
1: no it's just all major airlines we did hear about some trips from china that were sort of cheaper but we couldn't find any you can look around if you want but if you go and buy land which is what we did we've actually got an article on our website which is getting from China to Ulaanbaatar for $60 per person. Yes. Which is pretty damn cheap because if you take the main tourist train, it's $250 from Beijing to Ulaanbaatar. So
0: quite a difference in price and quite a bit of an adventure, I'd have to say. It
1: was an interesting adventure. We've actually got a four-part series. Just do a search for Mongolia on our website, on our blog, $5traveller.com. And you will find lots of information about how to save money traveling through Mongolia. The final stuff we want to talk about is the difference that instead of just going on a completely organized tour, we were on an independent tour. Now, part of what happened when we broke down in the Gobi Desert was because we'd essentially just hired a couple of guys to drive us from one city to the other city.
0: Some dudes who happened to be going home, we hitched a ride with them, Yeah, but paid for the ride.
1: Yeah, we got a pretty good price compared to what we've been paying per day for the shared van. So for only two of us being taken, you know, we negotiated down a lot. Yeah, like three days travel was about $300 between two people. If that had been between seven people, then obviously that would have been really good value. But we didn't have anyone else to travel with. So if you can get more travel mates, and so there's maybe four of you doing this whole trip, you are going to find it easier. And of course, the other thing, if you organise just a round trip with seven of you doing the whole thing, then that is also going to save you some money. But you can't do that if you're doing the full East to West that we did. No. Some people actually choose to travel around Mongolia by bus. The problem we found when we were looking at doing that was that the buses only really connect the towns. You're never going to get anyone taking you out to the actual attractions. And when we're talking about going between attraction and attraction, you could be thinking like seven or eight hours drive between attractions. Yes, yeah, so overland.
0: certain waterfalls you're going to miss out on. There's certain hot springs you're not going to be able to visit. The buses yeah. just don't go there. They're just direct city-to-city routes. So yeah. if you have a driver and a Russian van, you can be like, I want to go here. And he'll be like, okay, I'll take you there.
1: And we did. So, I mean, we're saying $33 per person per day. We went to the hot springs a couple of times. And, Life
0: saver. Oh, so
1: amazing. You haven't
0: had a bath or a shower in a couple of days and you jump into a hot spring. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, so really, really, really awesome. And we managed to also negotiate prices because there was a group of seven of us when we were doing that part of the trip, we would walk into the spa and go, the seven people, can we get 50% off? We had mixed results with that, but we got discounts every time. And yeah, sitting in that hot, hot natural bath at the end of a day where you've been thrown around inside a russian van doing crazy speeds across completely open land with no roads yeah it helped
0: to relax the poor tired muscles (laughs)
1: that is the way to finish a day all right it's almost the end of the show so what does that mean?
0: I don't know. What does it mean? What do we do at the end of the show?
1: Oh, you've forgotten. 37 episodes in, now you've forgotten what we do at the end of the show.
0: Is it travel homework time? It
1: is. It's travel homework time. So this week, if you think you've been slightly convinced that Mongolia might be a really interesting destination to go... Which jump, it is. It is. Jump on our blog, $5traveller.com, with the word five. I know we're confusing everybody, numbers, words. But... Go on there and just look up Mongolia. You can use the search bar at the top, Asia, Mongolia. You'll find some information about all the different places we went, the Nadam festivals and the transport options and how to save some money when you're trying to get across Mongolia. Thanks for listening to the Travel Freedom Podcast.
0: Show notes and resources for this episode are waiting for you at TravelFreedomPodcast.com. So
1: join us again for Money Mondays to learn how to supercharge your online income.
0: Or for Travel Thursdays, where we will help you travel like a prince on a pauper's budget.
1: We are waiting for your comments and feedback, so tweet us at MyTravelFreedom. Or email info at TravelFreedomPodcast.com. I'm Tomo. And I'm Megzy. Catch us again on Mondays and Thursdays on the Travel Freedom Podcast. Bye for now.
0: Bye.